Listener Production. Hello and welcome to another episode of Heart Science Explained, a weekly podcast brought to you by Listener and Cosmos. Today you've got me, Emma Perfetto, and we're diving into a phenomenon every Australian is likely to have heard of, coral bleaching. If you're Australian, you probably take for granted the existence of the Great Barrier Reef, the world's largest coral reef system right in our own backyard. It's an incredible ecosystem stretching for 2,600 kilometres. If you're having trouble picturing it, imagine a coral reef the size of Italy, fringing Australia's northeast coast. But the Great Barrier Reef and other coral reefs around the world are struggling to survive in the face of threats like increasing sea temperatures and pollution. One of the best known effects of these threats is coral bleaching. The first mass coral bleaching events were recorded in 1998 and 2010, while the longest and most destructive event to date was from 2014 to 2016, when more than 70% of the Earth's coral reefs were damaged. These three events all occurred during an El Niño, the warm phase of the El Niño Southern Oscillation, also known as ENSO. This is a weather cycle driven by the warming or cooling of the ocean surface in the central and eastern tropical Pacific Ocean, literally tens of thousands of kilometres away from the Great Barrier Reef. To understand what's happening to a coral reef when a bleaching occurs, we first need to take a close look at individual corals. So, what are corals? Well, despite coral reefs looking a bit like underwater forests, corals aren't actually plants. They're marine invertebrates, a type of simple ocean animal that doesn't have a spine. Corals divide into two main types, hard and soft. Soft corals have no solid exoskeleton, so they're flexible and vary incredibly in appearance. Some resemble trees, bushes, fans, whips and even grasses. They also tend to be brightly coloured, Think bright pinks and mauves. Because they're soft, they don't form reefs. And here's the important bit, they don't bleach. The corals that bleach, the ones that we're concerned about, are the hard or stony corals. These are important reef builders because they produce an external skeleton made of calcium carbonate that helps to both strengthen and protect them. It's the build-up of hard coral exoskeletons over time that forms the foundation of a coral reef. Although a reef may look like one organism, it's actually a colony of genetically identical animals called coral polyps. A coral reef can consist of hundreds, thousands, or even millions of individual coral polyps living together as a colony. Individual polyps are usually very small, sometimes only a few millimetres in diameter, and look like miniature sea anemones with soft, tubular bodies topped by a ring of tentacles. These tentacles surround the open end of the polyp and allow it to capture and digest tiny organisms that swim too close. Corals that grow in shallow waters where sunlight can reach them, from just below the surface to about 30 metres down, usually have another source of nutrition as well, the zooxanthellae. Zooxanthellae are single-celled algae that live symbiotically within the tissues of their polyps. Sunlight is essential because it fuels the algae's photosynthesis which produces essential nutrients for the polyps in the forms of sugars, glycerol, a naturally occurring alcohol, and amino acids, the building blocks of proteins. In return, corals provide a safe home and other key nutrients to the algae. 
This bit's important. It's the zooxanthellae's pigments that give the corals their vibrant colours, as coral polyps themselves are colourless. Next question. What is coral bleaching? All right, we're finally getting to the point. Coral bleaching occurs when coral polyps are stressed by changes in their environment, such as warmer sea surface temperatures, increased ocean acidity, and pollution. The stress causes coral polyps to expel the symbiotic algae from their tissues. And as the algae have all the pigment, losing them causes the polyps' tissue to become transparent. It exposes the white limestone skeleton that lies beneath, and they literally look like they've been bleached. Other signs of bleaching include the thinning of coral tissues, a reduction in mucus production, and the inhibition of coral's ability to reproduce. But of course, it's the ghostly, bleached appearance that's the most obvious. Despite looking dead after a bleaching event, though, corals still have life in them, and they can recover. If the conditions return to normal and stay that way, the corals can regain their algae, return to health, and restore their bright colours and survive. But if there's prolonged or repeated stress, corals can struggle to regrow, reproduce, and resist disease. They can eventually starve because they can't make the essential nutrients that the algae provide. Once the majority of a reef's polyps die, it can rarely bounce back and recover because with too few corals surviving, they struggle to reproduce and an entire reef system can deteriorate. We definitely don't want this to happen. Coral reefs are rare enough. They occur in less than 1% of the world's oceans. But the big deal is that they're home to nearly one quarter of all ocean species. Now, onto the big question. Will we continue to see more bleaching in the future? Unfortunately, the answer is yes. Bleaching events are becoming more frequent and intense due to the effects of climate change. The Earth's oceans are becoming warmer because of global warming and more acidic because of increased levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. CO2 is readily absorbed in seawater. The process is called ocean acidification and it forms into carbonic acid. The more acidic oceans become, the less calcium carbonate they can hold. That's the stuff that makes up stony coral skeletons. And without enough of it, the coral's ability to build and repair that skeleton is reduced. What does this all add up to, though? Well, a recent study used climate model projections to predict the future of shallow water coral reef exposure to these increased ocean temperatures. The results suggest that if Earth's climate heats up by 1.5 degrees Celsius, only 0.2 of the world's coral reefs will avoid frequent, and that's the key word, frequent, bleaching level heat stress. The thing is, the frequent bleaching doesn't allow enough time for corals to recover between events. After they've been beaten up by prolonged or repeated heat stress, coral communities require, on average, at least 10 years to re-establish. Now consider this. In 2020, the Great Barrier Reef experienced its third mass coral bleaching event in five years. So here's the bad news. Under all greenhouse gas emission scenarios, sea temperatures are projected to increase by 1.5 to 2 degrees Celsius by the end of this century. Will this spell the end for tropical coral reefs? We'll only really know for sure as the years roll by, but the signs aren't great. On the plus side, scientists are working to develop tools that will help reefs adapt to and recover from these events. They're looking at ways to potentially enhance coral's ability to resist bleaching, 
for instance, through breeding tougher symbiotic algae that can resist higher levels of heat stress. They've also looked at developing ways to scale up and fast-track coral recovery, such as through seeing whether the use of probiotics can increase a coral's tolerance to heat or help it recover faster from bleaching. Beyond that, especially if you're a diver or Great Barrier Reef local, you can get involved in various citizen science projects. Go to citizenscience.org to find out more. And of course, you should do everything possible to cut down your personal carbon footprint. Alrighty, thanks for listening to me talk about coral bleaching. We'll be back soon with even more weird and wacky answers to life's questions. But in the meantime, you can head to cosmosmagazine.com for more science just like this. Otherwise, we'll be back again next week for another Huh? Science Explained. Huh?